Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody uh, here today. I know it's kind of like being at a Billy Joel concert and you get Caleb over here on the piano. Nothing against Caleb, but probably not going to pay 50 bucks for him. But uh, Chris is away on vacation, and uh, I know he's been to uh, visit his mom. He went to Anissa's graduation, so uh, just lift him up in prayer. Also, Justin had a little cornbread this week, and uh, so got number three in their family. So uh, lift them up as well. And as I thought about that, praying for people, you know, a lot of times in life, I'm guilty of telling people, hey, I'll be praying for you. You're in my thoughts and you're in my prayers. I'm going to lift one up for you. Daniel Peavy sometimes will send me a text and he'll say that. He'll say, hey, lift one up for me. And that is a tremendous stewardship or responsibility that's been given to us when somebody asks us to pray on their behalf, to take their request before God. And many of us at different times in our lives, we have probably made commitments about a quiet time. Probably a lot of us at home have some devotionals we've halfway read, we've halfway worked through. We're going to commit, we're going to read through the Bible, and we'll get to Leviticus or somewhere in there and get stuck or pick it up, and then we get, you know, stuck back over there and, and another one of the prophets. Or we'll read through the New Testament. It's easy to get stuck in our quiet time, and it's easy to get stuck in our prayer life. I want to talk today because I struggle with this. You know, occasionally I feel like, you know, I'm asking for something, I'm asking for bread, and I get a stone. Things will happen that I just don't understand, and I struggle with this, and maybe you don't, but I do, so if nothing else, I'll get something out of this today. But I hope you do because it is extremely important. It is extremely of the utmost important that we have a prayer time, quiet time established with God. And if you don't get anything else out of today's message, I want you to get this. And I am going to um, alliterate you to death today, okay? It's going to be death by alliteration. I don't particularly like alliteration, but it's just a good way to remember uh, sometime. And here's, if you don't get anything else today, I want you to get this, the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is really simple. It's that we get to know God. The purpose of prayer is for us to get to know God. God, through Jesus, made it pretty clear that prayer should be a priority so that we could know him. In John 1, and in 1 John 1, Jesus is referred to as the Word. And our re words reveal to others how we think and feel, our hearts and our minds. In John 1 and in 1 John 1, Jesus is referred to as the Word. Christ reveals to us the heart and mind of God in a way that we can't help but get it unless we just don't want to get it. So to know Jesus is to know God. And by looking at how Jesus practiced prayer and what Jesus said about prayer, we can understand what God thinks and what he values about prayer. Throughout Jesus' life, we can see prayer being an important part of it. As a young boy, when they couldn't find Jesus, where was he? He was at the temple. We don't get a lot about Jesus growing up, but we get the statement, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. A relationship with God, knowing God was important to him. Later in life, he often withdrew, withdrew to pray. Before the crucifixion, he withdrew with his men to pray. And when he began his ministry, before he taught, before he preached, before he chose men to follow him, before he healed, before he cleansed, he withdrew 
for an extended period of time of prayer. So prayer is extremely important to God, and he reveals that to us through the life of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, and we're going to be looking primarily at Matthew 4 through 8 today. Now, I'm, I'm going to word for word break those down and, and all those chapters uh, for you today. So we should be done about three and a half hours. I mean, I, I took PE classes in seminary, so I couldn't do that if I wanted to. But in Matthew 4 through 8, all around the Sermon on the Mount, we get a lot about the heart of God through Jesus Christ. And right in the middle, in chapter 6, he's speaking about some issues in Jewish worship. And he addresses fasting, and he addresses prayer, and he addresses giving. And in those three things where they had the opportunity to participate, he says, if all you're doing is you're just going through the motion, you're just doing it for you, there's no value in it. And that's what they were doing. They were just giving for show. They were fasting for show. They were praying for show. And there was no value in it whatsoever. And in the midst of it, he said, if you want it to have value, here's what you've got to do. In Matthew 6, verse 6, he says, when you go pray, go away by yourself, pray by your, shut the door behind you, pray to your father in private, then your father who sees everything will reward you. He's not necessarily talking about go to a closet and pray, but what he's saying is make prayer about you and Jesus. It's about between you two. And the reason that you want to do that is because in 6, 8 it says, don't be like them for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Your father knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows exactly what you need. He formed you in your mother's womb. He created you. In Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. God equips you with spiritual gifts. He's placed you right where he wants you to be. God knows you, so doesn't it make it sense that we should want to get to know him who knows us so we can understand his plan, his purpose for our lives, how he wants to use us, how he wants to grow us, how he wants to work through us to impact the world. And as you get to know Jesus, you're going to find that there are three things, three things as you spend time with Jesus that are going to grow and going to result in your life. Number one, as you spend time with Jesus, as you get to know him, you're going to grow in your glory, your praise, and your honor to God. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you understand his character, his, his wisdom, his knowledge, his power, his provision, the more the result of that is you're going to give praise and honor and glory to God. It fits right in with our love, win, and grow. The more you spend time with God, the more you're going to love him because the more you're going to know about him. The more time you spend with God the more God's going to make you like him. You are going to grow in Christ's likeness. You cannot spend time with him without him rubbing off on your character. And he will come out in your attitudes. He will come out in your moods. He will come out in your behaviors. He will come out in your words because out of the mouth comes the overflow of the heart. Y'all are familiar with the NBA situation with Mr. Sterling. Yeah, there may be a privacy issue there, there may be a home issue, but you can't get around the fact that out of the mouth came the overflow of the heart. Okay, what's going to come out here is from what's in here. And the more time you spend with Jesus, good things are going to come out of here. Kind things, encouraging things, positive things, things that build up words of wisdom and help are going to come out of your mouth. And the other thing that's going to come out as you spend time with Jesus and you get to know him 
You're going to give him praise, honor, and glory. You're going to be like him, and you're going to be about his purposes, which is to share the gospel with other people. Your heart is going to be what Jesus' heart is, and that's to see all men drawn to him. He's going to use your life as an example and a witness. He's going to lay people in your heart to pray to God about. He's going to lay people in your heart that you just need to go spend time and build a relationship so you get the opportunity to share with. And he's going to lay people in your heart that he wants you to share your God story with them, how God changed your life. God, through prayer, wants us to get to know him. That's why it is so extremely important that we embrace a prayer life, that we embrace uh, a quiet time with God. Now, I'm going to throw you a couple of simple things here. And these things will help you get established in knowing God, will help you get established in a prayer life. Now, they're not a one, two, three, four, okay? I'm not, you know, at the end, I'm not going to be hawking a book out in the hall. Come afterwards, stay, and we preach, but let me give you a five-minute message about my things that I'm selling in the back. If you want a good book on prayer, your pastor, Chris, has written a really good book on prayer. You can come by it. It's in hardback or paperback edition. You can get either one, uh, and you can stop by the office, and we'll help you with that. But he's written a great book on prayer. Today, I want to talk about just some attitudes that are key in getting prayer established. The first thing that you got to do if you want to get prayer established, if you want it to be the defining purpose in your life, you have got to make prayer a priority. Charles Swindoll great uh, writer, teacher, said, you've got to make time now to keep a daily appointment with God. The enemy is going to tell you to set it aside, but you must carve out the time. If you're too busy to meet with God, you're simply too busy. You have got, there's got to come that point in time where you just make a commitment, I'm going to make priority with God a priority in my life. Remember, God comes and he wants you to spend time with him. He wants you to know him because he wants you to experience full and meaningful life, abundant life. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. Satan wants to keep you from spending time with God. That's why it's so difficult to establish a prayer time and stick with it because if he can't have you, he's going to do everything in his power to keep you from spending time with God because the more you know him, the more you look like him, the more you're about his purposes, and Satan wants to keep you from that. A couple of passages that, that talk about that battle that goes on. In Matthew 26, 40 and 41, it says, Then he returned for, to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He had been trying to teach these guys the priority of prayer. Through the life of Jesus, God's trying to teach us the priority of prayer. And he says it is going to be a battle. Here at the end, after spending three years with Jesus, at the crisis point in his life, he says, can't you guys keep watch with me? And they fall asleep. It shows the battle that we face in our prayer life. God says, watch with me. Satan says, 
Ah, take a little time off. Take a little rest. See, the Spirit's going to be with God forever. This fleshly body is not. We'll get a new body. This body's staying here, so this body is like, you know, let's get some rest. You know, let's watch a little TV. Let's relax. Let's take it easy. Because Satan works through this body to try and distract us from spending time with God. Look at even Jesus' battle right at the beginning when he starts. In Matthew 4, 1, he says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there. And Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, Then the Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. And then it repeats it again in um, the next passage of Scripture. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Each case here, Jesus is saying prayer should be a priority. I'm demonstrating to you, beginning of my ministry, important times of your life, key times in your life. Yeah, daily it should be. You should go praying without ceasing. But certainly at key points in your life, prayer should be a priority. You guys are just fixing to graduate college. You know what? An extended period of time in your life in prayer should be a priority. You graduated from high school, you're fixing to go into college, extended period of time of prayer should be a priority in your life. You got business decisions, maybe family issues that are going on. There's a time for extended periods of time in prayer in addition to daily times with prayers. And he's showing that's important to us, but then he's also showing to us that whenever you try to do that, Expect the enemy to show up. If he's arrogant enough to think that he can distract the Son of God, he sure as heck is going to try and distract you from spending time with God. So we have got to make it a priority. And three things kind of to help you with this, to, to make it a priority. Number one, there just comes a point in time when you've just got to commit. There just comes a point in time, that's nothing magical, but there comes a point in time when you have just got to put down a marker and commit and say, time with God for me is going to be a priority. If you've ever had to make a major life change in your life, you know that you just got to make a marker and things have got to change. I've got a friend in the ministry, he's having to make some dietary changes in his life. He's not an overweight guy, just got some uh, cholesterol stuff and like that. And he goes, it's total life change. I can't cut a corner anywhere. It's total lifestyle change. If you've ever dealt with addiction or something like that, it's a lifestyle. You've got to put down a marker and say, friendships are changing, where I'm going's changing, habits are changing, sleeping patterns are changing. Things have got to change. And to make time with God a priority, you've got to put down a marker. There's a parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the sower and the seeds. And it kind of shows what we'll do with this. Some people, when you hear a message on prayer, it's going to be like the heart's off. I've heard this before. I've got a pretty good prayer life. You know, hurry up and get done. Some will be like the parable that went in and kind of sprung up quickly. And as soon as something difficult, a prayer's not answered the way we thought it should be answered, we get disappointed with God, we get upset, we kind of put prayer on the back burner. Some of us with prayer are like that third seed that goes in, and then we get busy with life. This happens to us a lot of times. Work gets busy. Family gets busy. I'm studying for this. I'm working on this paper. I got this going on. We get busy, and the next thing we know, our quiet times got put on the shelf for a day, three days, a week, two weeks, or whatever. Where we've got to get to is we're committed to being that fourth seed where we put down a marker and we put down roots, and the result is a crop that produces fruit many fold. There's got to come that point in time, and that, that time commitment, that time to commit is going to involve a time commitment. 
There's no way to establish time with God without understanding it's going to cost you time. So something may have to be given up for that to happen. And what you can expect when you do that, just like Jesus faced temptation, expect temptation. Expect Satan to do everything in his power to distract you, to get you pulled away, to get you to go to sleep, to get you ignored, to get you to miss, to get you to skip that time with God. He does not want you to get to know God because when you get to know God, you're protected from harm and you're provided for the best. With temptation, God always provides a way of escape when you spend time with God. What happened to David with Bathsheba is David... He ignored his time with God. The result of that, he was hardened. He didn't see the temptation was coming. He fell. We're studying about Samson on Wednesday nights. What happened to Samson, he messed up, but then he kind of, for like a 20-year period, he kind of got things together, and then his old lust problem popped back up, more than likely because he was ignoring his time with God, and there comes that old temptation. Throughout your entire life, even if you in here have a great established time with God, You can expect your entire life, Satan's not going to quit. He's going to come after you. So expect it. That's why the third thing is extremely important. And I wish I'd have started hammering this five years ago, but as long as I'm here at First Baptist, I'm going to be hammering this third point home. Team up for accountability. It's important that you team up for accountability. Church is great. Hebrews tells us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Church is important. Okay? Small groups are important. You know, uh, we're told iron sharpens iron. Being with other believers strengthens us, helps us. But there's also an important passage that tells us in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. That's Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Guys, small groups, I mean, I'm talking about a small group of two, three, or four people meeting together to hold each other accountable is probably the absolute most important thing that you can do to maintain a long-term, effective powerful, life-changing, life-protecting prayer time with God. Susan Martin told me that she has met with her group of ladies for 41 years. Now, you can change up groups or whatever, but it is extremely important that you get to a point where you guy and you get with a couple other guys, a lady, you get with some other ladies, a couple, and you get with other couples for the purpose of encouraging each other and holding each other accountable. You meet together, and you're just saying... You know you're going to meet with some people. They're going to ask you about your quiet time. They're going to ask you about your walk. That's so extremely important. And if you want to keep from falling, again, if you want to remember two things, one is to know God. The second is get with some other people who will help hold you accountable in your walk with God. Here's the third thing. Not only have we got to make it a priority, we've also got to have a plan. As I said, if you want a really good plan, get Chris's book. I'm going to give you more of an attitude plan. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, the guy that invented Where's Waldo, said, Few people have any next. They live from hand to mouth without a plan and are always at the end of the rope. Benjamin Franklin said, By failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. It's important 
okay, that we have a plan. And the plan I want to talk to you about is an attitude plan. And again, if you go back to Matthew chapter 6, he spells it out for us. Two simple steps in this plan. Number one is you got to have the right focus. In the midst of chapter 6, he gives the model prayer. And there in verses 9 and 10 in chapter 6, he says, Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The focus on that is the focus is on the Father. When you pray, the plan needs to be your focus is on God. Your focus isn't on your problem. Your focus isn't on your concern. Your focus isn't on your worry. Your focus isn't on your relationship. Your primary focus when you pray is on the Father. You read the rest of that, and it says, you know, this day uh, provide my daily bread. He's saying, God, I'm dependent on you, the Father, to meet my spiritual need and my physical need. God, I'm trusting in you to lead me away from temptation. God, I am trusting in you to help me forgive others. The focus is on the Father, and it closes out uh, the kingdom the glory forever. The focus is totally and completely on God. That's the plan. When you pray, you focus on God. Yes, you bring Him those requests, but you focus on Him as all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, just. You focus on Him and His attributes and His abilities, and you lay those requests at His feet. The second part of the plan is you focus. The second part is you have faith. You trust in Him. Chapter 6 talks about this because when you go and pray, there's so many things that you pray about that are bigger than you, that you can't do anything about. When you're praying for people that are sick, when you're praying for people that are hurting, when you're praying for people that have relationship issues, you just got to give those to God and trust Him. The last part of that passage, he talks about that in 6, uh, 29 through 33. He talks about the fact that, look at the lilies. Look at them. Look how beautifully they're adorned. Do they worry about what they're going to wear? No, the Father provides for them. He says, look at the sparrows. Do they worry about where their next meal is going to come from? No. Now, they both do. The, the, the bird flies around. That's what it's supposed to do, but he has to trust God for that bug or that worm. I don't know what a lily does, but it has to trust on God for the water and for the sunshine. There are things that we can do, yes, we bring those requests. Maybe we go to somebody that's going through a difficulty and we spend time with them. We write them a note of encouragement. We take somebody out to eat that's going through difficulties or whatever, but there's a point where we've just got to say, God, i got to give it to you. I can't fix that. I don't know what your answer is. And in prayer, our plan has got to be we focus on him and we give it to him and we trust him for the answer. And even when we get an answer, when it seems like we get a stone when we've asked for a piece of bread and it doesn't understand and it doesn't make any sense to us because we're focused on God, I don't make any sense, but God, your ways are higher than my ways. And God, you have a purpose here that I may not grasp or may not understand, but God, I'm going to trust in you. Is all sufficient. I'm going to trust your plan when I don't understand. Maybe down the road you'll see it. Maybe you won't get to. But I'm going to focus on you. And I'm going to have faith that you're going to be sufficient to meet their needs in this situation or your needs in that situation. So that's God's plan. Here's the fourth thing. And that's just you've got to persist. You can't quit. In Matthew 7, 7 through 11, he says, Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Do not quit in your prayer life. Again, Satan's going to do everything in his power to get you to quit, to take a week off, to take a couple of days off. Next thing you know, it becomes a month, and it becomes six months. He wants you 
to become negligent, going through the motions, just a few minutes, and it's not growing. Let me just give a quick shot in here. And God says, keep on. Don't quit. Don't give up. There's a passage in the earlier part of chapter 7 where he talks about don't judge him, don't judge, and that gets misused a lot, you know, because somebody says, oh, don't say anything about my behavior, you're judging me. When he's talking about not judging, he's saying God's the final judge. Okay, God's at the, at the great white throne judgment, determining who's going to hell. That's final judgment. That's the job of God. At the judgment seat of Christ, where God judges based on our works and our abilities and what we do with our gifts and talents, that's a final judgment, and that's a judgment that God did. And he, in the passage, he's saying, don't you take on God's role of passing final judgment. What I want you to do is you don't quit on people. Chris preached last week about the woman at the well, and he said a lot of people would have just seen her as white trash and give up on her. But Jesus didn't give up on her. He saw her potential. What God is saying, don't you give up on people. You pray when a situation seems hopeless, you keep praying. When a person seems hopeless, you keep praying because we all know people that people wrote off, but God wasn't done with the story yet. Keep on praying. It's important. It's valuable that you continue to fight to know God, to glorify Him, to get shaped into His image, and to let Him work through you to reach other people for Jesus Christ. Um, an interesting person, J.K. Rowling, and she wrote Harry Potter. I've not read Harry Potter because usually if books are over about other than the Bible, if they're over that thick, then you know, my attention span is not that long. Uh, but whether how you feel about her and her book and all that, if you're anti-magic and all that, um, here's the her story is fascinating because she is a highly educated person. And she was a highly educated person that got in a tough situation. Her mom died. She had on her heart to write a book, but her mom died, so she's having to deal with all that. Her marriage falls apart. And so she's having to raise a child by herself. This child, had, and I had one of these, bless her heart, that just cried all the time. So she had to have it in a stroller constantly to get it to sleep, to walk around. And when it gets to sleep, she had to hold it because if she put it down over here without her, start crying again. So she's trying to write a book, holding a baby, scribbling. This big old long book. And then she, hand, and then she types it on an old manual typewriter. It's told by 12 publishers she's rejected by it, and then finally one small publishing house takes it and says okay we'll take and do this but you better get a day job because children's books don't sell and there's the rest of the story but she persisted and she persisted on something that was an earthly pursuit how much more should we persist on something that is an eternal pursuit something that can change and impact people's lives we don't need to ever ever quit and here's the last thing. Your purpose is to know God. And God says there comes a point when you just got to make a commitment to do that. You got to put down a marker and say, you know what? Prayer life is going to be a priority because that's how God has chosen to work in this world. And it's got to be a priority in my life. And my plan is you focus on me and you put your faith and you put your trust in me. And you, my plan is that you continue on that you persist, that you don't quit. How do we know how we're doing in it? How can we judge? Well, the last thing here is the proof. And if you look all through Matthew chapter 5, you can see evidences of, of how you can look to see if you're having an effective prayer time with God. 
If you're having an effective prayer time in God, it's going to affect your attitude. You know, the Beatitudes are listed there in the first part of chapter 5. Time with God will be reflected by changed attitudes. God's attitude will become your attitude. You'll be patient, you'll be forgiving, you'll be humble, you'll be teachable. You will embrace your mission to be salt and light to the world. I am put here to lead other people to Jesus Christ. You'll grow in wisdom and discernment. You won't just look for letter of the law following the guides. You'll look for those deeper meanings that only the Holy Spirit can provide, where it's not just how does this impact me, but how does what I do reflect on God? How does what I do impact my relationships with other people? How does what I do sow seeds for the kingdom? You'll have deeper thinking on things. You will be rightly related and forgiving to others. One of the marks that your prayer life is right is your relate that this is right is this is right with other people. And where it's not, you're going to try and make it right. You're going to understand, as I mentioned, about judging that God has the final say. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is trying to reach out and change people. And you're going to produce fruit that gives proof to whom you belong. God wants to work through your life to impact the world. But his plan is by spending time with him, getting to know him through prayer. As we close today, I just want you to examine where you are and be honest about where you are in your prayer life. If you went back this last week and looked at your prayer life, and consistently, daily, I was right there, I carved out that time for God. If you did, praise God, and I challenge you, just be ready and be prepared, knowing Satan at some point, sometime through a crisis or difficulty or situation is going to try and attack you and pull you away from that. But if you look back and you look and you can see, man, it's slipping. You know, there were several days I missed. There were several days where I just went through the motions. There were several days where it was just kind of really quick. And I really didn't sit at the feet of God and get to know him and let him examine me and change me. And I'm not letting him lay on the part. I can't name a lost person that I'm praying for right now. And you honestly examine your prayer life. You go, it's just not where it needs to be with God. Well, today, put out a marker and change it. Say, today, from this point forward, that's changing. I'm telling you, the key in being able to do that is you got to be willing, if you really want that to change, to say, I'm going to gather, I'm willing to gather with two or three other believers, two or three other guys, two or three other ladies, two or three other couples. I'm willing to say we're going to meet weekly, we're going to meet bi-weekly, we're going to meet regularly, and we're going to hold each other accountable. If you really want to put down a marker, that's the step you've got to be willing to take. And if somebody here today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, the one prayer that you need to give is you need to give the prayer of faith and repentance to God. God has done everything to make salvation possible. He's convicted you of your sin. He has provided a sacrifice to pay for your sins. He makes that available to you. What you have to do is you have to acknowledge your sinfulness and you have to turn and say, God, I need you. That's all you can do is acknowledge your helpless, hopeless estate and turn to the one that can help you. And if you've never done that, God invites you to do that today. And all you have to do is say, God, I know I'm lost. I'm separated from you, God. I need you. And God, I want to turn to you and accept what you did on my behalf on the cross. And I want you to be my Lord and Savior. From this point forward, I want to live for you. Whatever you need to do today in responding to God, I challenge you to do it. But guys, prayer life is essential to the life of this church. It's essential to the work of God. We can't ignore it. We've got to know a roaring lion out there wants us to make it little, unimportant, 
He wants us to push it away, to give it as little as possible, and we've got to be committed. We're not going to let that happen. Every day, we're going to carve out time, valuable time, first fruit time, to get to know God and to spend time with Him so He can change and transform and work through our lives to impact the world. Let's pray.